Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Mr. Joey Kanish. Joey, thanks for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mr. Joey Kanish. Joey, thanks for coming on. Jake, how are you, mate? I'm glad to be on here, man. So, when you're not on rounders and doing some other stuff, tell me, <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, man. Um, so, I'll give you the, the background. I mean, I started out probably at 11 years old. My dad was, was a fucking degenerate. So, it, it started, you know, it kind of came in all in the family blood, um, getting started at a young age. Uh, and the, the Kanish name really came from, you saw rounders the first time, and I was like, man, this, this guy is everything that I've ever wanted to behold <laughs> in a gambler. Um, you know, he kind of, he had the grind and it was doing it the way that I was, that I envisioned. Um, and so, you know, started off the Twitter account, started, uh, I think it was 2000, 2013. Um, and just posting plays, man, just going out there uh, and trying to you know make a name for myself, make some connections. Uh, college football was really the original thing um, that I kind of cut my teeth in uh, and then started getting into more, you know, last few years uh, really upped it with the props and a lot of the offerings that have been out there um, and just gone from there and been able to grow the following, uh, grow the connections um, then have some success doing it. So if you could go back to the very beginning and put your real name on that Twitter account, would you do it? Or are you very, very happy you have a, a very excellent name as it turns out? No, no, honestly, I, lo- I mean, people in real life have started calling me Kanish, so it, it's, it's worked out all right. Um, some of the other aspects is when, how do I say this, it, there's a, a benefit when you keep a lot of accounts uh, at different sports books of, of semi-anonymity. Um, so, you know, a lot of people know, you know, that I'm connected with and stuff, know who I am in real life, but, you know, I, I keep accounts at basically every different offshore book uh, a lot of different bookmakers follow me so th- there's a benefit of of not basically being able to tie if i'm posting plays or posting props uh to not be able to tie that back to my actual account um so that's part of it and the other part of it is i have a normal job uh you know i, I work so to, to ensure that you know it it kind of stays separate from that that piece of real life uh is kind of where the, the Kanish aspect of it really helps um, and kind of stays in it to this day. So you mentioned normal job. You mentioned the grind. Tell me what the grind means to you. How does that apply to your betting and, I guess, in conjunction with having a regular day job? Oh, so, I mean, I've got the fortune of, uh, you know, normal day jobs and analysts, so I got a desk job. But 
it allows me to, you know, I keep an iPad uh, at work that's got Don Best on it right next to me. And I probably, I mean, this will sound crazy, but I'm on my phone hours and hours a day refreshing uh, different sites, going book to book. So, I mean, if you looked at my screen time, you know, when I get the weekly report, it's usually between 10 to 12 hours a day um, kind of shopping, going book to book. And it's really, it's not, I would say it's not for everybody. You know, I've had, I always get a few jokes on Twitter here and there of like, dude, you have a regular job. Like, is, are you serious? And I benefit. <laughs> I don't have kids at the moment. Um, and this is my fucking hobby, man. Like this is, it's what I, it's not a real, I don't look at it as, you know, like a, a work or any of that. It's like a love. It's a passion. It's like what I want to do. It's, this is everything that, that, that really, I, it's how I want to spend my free time. So I don't look at it as, you know, a labor or work or an effort. It's just more of a, a love. I don't know. So if you, you know, to spend this much time on it and, <laughs> and be able to have some success, it, it really builds up um, just to become like a part of your life. It's a part of, it's just my daily, everything of what I do. If I'm not at work, all my free time, you know, goes to this. So interesting. What is it about it? Is it the, the sweat of watching a game with something writing on it? Is it the process of it all? And, spending all the time on the Don Best screen or on the internet finding different angles and edges and, and grinding out, you know, a, a side profit? Or what actually is it, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the sweats are great. There is nothing that fucking gets me up in the morning better than So I'll give you a little I, – I bet a lot of openers. You know, that's why I know some of the senior guys will, will give you shit for that or say that. They, they don't like it. But a lot of my edge comes – from being able to get the fresh number. So when I, there is nothing that gets me fucking jacked more than being able to say that I had the best line or I got the fresh number. Like I'll give you an example on a, a college football. So most of my Sunday isn't spent watching NFL. It's usually, I have it on in the background, but I'm prepping for college football, you know, from Sunday morning all the way till when the openers hit Sunday evening. And there is nothing like to have, and like if they've got a game and it's 11 and a half and that 11 and a half was out there for 10 fucking seconds and I got a piece of that 11 and a half and then the rest of the week it's you know it's 10 it's 9 it's down to 7 to be the one of the only people out there that have that 11 and a half that that's kind of what gets me just gets me going man and and that's how you and that's how as a gambler you know when you're not going to be one of and I, I even get this into a longer thing. Uh, you've had people on brilliant people, people with, you know, Ivy League backgrounds, Rufus Peabody, Rob Zola, Ed Fang, you know, advanced statistical mathematical backgrounds. That is not my I mean, man, I work a regular job. I went to public school and community college like I have to I have to grind. I have to go that extra mile to be able to get that edge that I'm going to grind out um, and just to be able to compete. And make money. So it's a, and I'm not betting, you know, 5K, 10K a game because you can't, you can't get that on openers. Um, so when I'm trying to grind out some money each month or do this on, on a regular basis and have success, that's the kind of stuff that, that you got to do. How do you make sure it's clear you have a, a distinct passion for it, whether it's, you know, different components from the gambling to the, the thinking about sports and sports betting and markets and the Don Best screen and openers and all that sort of stuff. How do you, how do you ensure that the passion doesn't overflow and turn into, you know, things like overbetting or things like going on tilt or anything like that? 
Yeah, no, and that's that's a fa- and you know what? When I when I first started, um, you know, without a clue what the fuck I was doing, that that was, I mean, that played into a factor. I, I, I and I don't even mind say. I mean, there's a piece of me that that you know, could I stop doing this if I really wanted to? I don't even mind say. I mean, part of it's 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 an addiction, but it's to be able to. It takes a while to learn how to do it right and how you're gonna go about, you know, the money management and the bankroll management. I, you know, I've always been fiscally conservative by nature, so that helps you know, learning how to budget from a younger age um, and just making sure you're not, you're not over betting or you're not going crazy. I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe it's I got older and you know, the, some of the tilts or the sweats that you have during game days and stuff, that, that kind of fades away. And I, you know, I still have the fire in me, but it's, it's different than then that where if you know you lost a game and then you're like oh you know the whole i gotta get it back or any of that 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 you know fades away with experience and just being in the game and learning how to do it right you know over time you, you, obviously it's stuff that hits you when you first start out but it's not going to be there once you learn how to do it the right way so take us back to year one or year two of your betting when you were just starting out and tell us what it was like back then what world were you living in a lot of people and a lot of past guests are in all different places all around the world with different experiences. But what was your initial 12 to 24 months like in betting? Oh, I mean, I I would say I was on the, I don't want to call it the early adopter, the forefront of, of offshore gambling. Um, but that that's kind of where it started. Uh, I mean, I've had a Sportsbook AG account that, you know, it helps in the long run now that once you have some success that I've had this account. But I, I remember I was probably just basically in high school, 18, 19 and started out and placing some bets, you know, making all the typical mistakes. Um, you know, didn't have a, a great, you know, background in exactly how I'm going to shape a number, how I'm going to, you know, make a power rating or that kind of stuff. Um, and so that was all stuff that y- you had to pick up along the way. Uh, you learn, you know, the money management of it, of betting proper increments and building a bankroll, um, and that was uh, the toughest part is when you don't have any cap. I mean, I didn't grow up wealthy. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Starting your bankroll with fucking nothing, man, is a grind to get to the point now where, you know, I'm able to keep a lot of accounts at a ton of different books and have enough money to be effective at all these places. It took it. It took a long time. You know, it takes a long time when you don't start out with any capital to be able to grow it, to have the capital to put at risk, to keep you know, 15 different accounts funded and have be able to be there, you know, when a blind drops or a prop drops, be able to hit it. And that just, it took years. It took years to get to that point um, to, to now have enough outs and have enough capital to be effective at that level. What points along the way were the best like learning points or parts where you picked up certain things? Was it early on and stumbling? And I'm guessing if we could have a graph of our life P&L in gambling, it would be very interesting to look at to see the ups and downs and some of the dips and some of the peaks. What do you think the areas for you were that where you collected the most knowledge and wisdom? So when I first, I was on Twitter and I was doing the solo thing, um, you know, for a year or two. And what I'll tell you what changed my life is I got, you know, I'm in a, a network or what we will call a group now, um, you know, a lot of different names for it, uh, picked up. And man, the, the connections, you know, it's, people talk about, you know, gambling Twitter and there's a lot of jokes about it being a sewer. The, the connections 
that I have built um, from Twitter just to open my eyes to all the different areas uh, and all the different the different ways the learning experience and having that the group knowledge. You know, it, there's too much information, too much data, too much capping, too many sports to be able to go at this alone. And that was where, you know, when I when I first got in, I was like, man, fuck this. I'm just going to I'm going to try I'm gonna do it myself. You know, I had never really worked, you know, in any type of group setting or any of that. You want to do it. Every, you learn very quickly um, that it, it's just hard, man. If you want to do it year round, you want to do multiple sports, you want to keep an eye on a bunch of different books. It, it's too much for one person, especially if you have a job. So that's what, you know, if you're just starting out or, you know, you've got some buddies that are into it or stuff. The best thing you can do is find like-minded people or sharp people or people that, that have the same passions you do uh, and, and work together or work in a, group or find the find the right connections to be able to do this because that that changed my life and has changed my I mean my profitability my experience um some of the stuff that the guys taught me that that it's they opened my eyes to a different way to do things and just a bu- having connections I mean I used to be you know have a couple of accounts now I've got 20 accounts and I'm able to make bets not only offshore but some connections in Vegas some connections in Jersey like you you the more connections you have, connections is money. And that's what, that's something that I didn't really have a grasp on when I first got into the game, that it mattered that much, that it is not something to tackle. If, if you want to do it seriously, you want to do it at a real level. Um, it, it's not a solo gig. You've got to have, you got to be working with people. The extent, and I guess the way you've used your connections and networks, has that changed over the years? Like, were you tailing people who are amazing at Masters Week, so I guess golf, and weren't afraid to say, you know what, this is probably plus EV, so I'm happy to to bet it, versus now where you might be more like, you know, information sharing and knowledge sharing across different sports or different systems and approaches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I first got on Twitter, it, it, it is a learning experience of who's legit, most people aren't, who's, you know, who's got good information, who would you trust tailing? Um, yep. And I made, I mean, I made mistakes. You think people are, you know, there's a lot of people out there trying to scam, trying to sell picks, trying to say that they're legit. Uh, you know, it's there is a cesspool element to it. So it, it's going to take some learning experience to know, to know. But you, you have to eventually get to a point where you've got either got the right connections to tail people. Cause you can't be, you can't be capping every sport. You know, and I've got to the point where there's a few sports I bet where I don't do any handicapping it's basically all tail you know guys i know that will will feed information um it's just not it's not possible to do it at at a high high level um and be doing you know three four five sports at once me and i remember reen rob pozzola had this conversation um about somebody who we knew who uh, was sharp and was struggling in one aspect um and part of our conversation was you just you can't do it right if you're doing a, too many sports at one time. It's a, you're going to miss things. There's too much information. You know, if you if you're just plopping stuff into a model and not giving it any type of attention, I I, I will never believe that that's that's a the plus EV way to bet. There's too much information out there. Injury updates, change in lineups, that type of stuff that that you're going to miss if you're overloaded. So you have to get to that point where 
you've got people you trust, um, either people you follow or people you're working with that that you're basically able to just take their word, take their action and run with it. So let's isolate college football. And in terms of, like you mentioned, there's a lot of content information out there and there's a lot of college football games for the for the fans out there. How do you go about attacking college football generally? And do you have to hone in and find a conference or a handful of conferences that you typically will bet? Oh, no, I, I go full FBS and FCS and it is it is insanely time consuming. Um, but, you know, part of my process every week is, you know, you look at. So I do a ton of front end prep work. I would say that's if we want to say what's your edge or what's your do. I mean, I start prep where I, last year I even started earlier this year. Um, I'm about to start up here in a week or two is you kind of immerse yourself in. And you put the legwork you're going to put off put in on the front end. It, it it will pay off at the beginning of the season. I will tell you that that is where the most edge you're going to find is if you put in that work in the spring and the summer, it's going to pay off um, that first month. But because before the data is really there, you've got to get that front end work, you know, before you're able to look at any of the modeling systems or any of the the analytics in the first three weeks, isn't going to be real refined. So you're putting in that work in the summer, in the spring, um, to be able to have that edge, uh, that that's, that's going to be there. So my process starts up, you know, early, a few months beforehand, most cases, um, and then kind of gets into a weekly routine of looking at box scores Sunday morning, um, updating the power ratings, you know, looking at a lot of player stats, you know, because I'm big into the, the college football props um, and basically, you know, then doing a deep dive from there, even to the middle of the week um, when a lot of stuff gets updated um, to where even though most of my plays are going to be Sunday, Monday, that doesn't mean that, you know, there's not spots I'm looking to pick off later in the week, uh, depending on which way the market shifts. So but again, I, the most okay, if I'm given a, a piece of advice, it's you've got to put in. I know. I'll, a lot of people, you may not have the time or you may not want to immerse yourself that deep or depending on what you got going on. But for me, it starts early um, and it starts in depth. And I don't like limiting myself to, you know, a conference or, or a team or that. It, for me, it's it's the full boat. Um, but it, it's it, it's it's a lot of time investment. Interesting. Do you mind sharing some of the things you might do in the offseason? Are you creating you know, the Joey Kanish version of a Phil Steele manual that's applicable for sports betting this coming season? Or t- take us through, if you don't mind, a couple of things that you might spend your time or a vast majority of your time on. Um, so, I mean, a couple of... Uh, number one, Bill Connolly, I mean, he's like the godfather of college football, you know, these days. I would say Phil Steele's kind of got that OG reputation, um, but <laughs> Connolly's got the goods as far as, you know, what's in, in terms of he's starting... I mean, he's already... Th- 35 previews in um and here we are in early april um so a lot of those i'll read every single one of those previews uh, usually a couple of times over i'll get you know i begrudgingly will you know get steel because he's still got a couple of things um that help benefit and then a lot of it is is hard work with going to eat the beat writers for each team watching each spring game um you know and as i say i had a couple of guys i work with that you know, do the same type of deal. So we're exchanging information. I do a complete revamp, you know, updating my ratings um, from the the end of last year and do all the tweaks as far as, you know, returning production and that, you know, the type of 
basically data you've got coming back from last year and then being able to pick out and identify some areas for improvement that that might not be obvious to um, you know a data system where you'll get a returning production percentage number um, but depending on you know the recruiting or any of that or how guys looking in some spring reports you, you can pick off things where you might not it might not reflect in what would be um, you know a bookmaker's version of the early rating numbers uh, like you know BOLs already dropped some game of the year so you can start to get a feel for the early market um, for what numbers are going to open at and be able to pick off some easy openers coming out so that's all. The, the earlier you start the prep and you put that work in, it it will pay off for you in the on the front end of the season. It sounds like you yourself are your own database and your own engine and machine that can consume all this data and information, and then hopefully utilize it on the the game day or the you know the Sunday before game day to try and get the best lines. Is that a fair assessment? I, I would say that it's a fair assessment. I mean, I've got um, you know, I keep a large Excel file with ratings and past data and that type of stuff um, that does some, you know, auto update. Uh, but a lot, a lot of the work that, that I'm going to put in is, is just manual. That, that's where it's, it's hard work and it's a grind. And some people, I know some guys will swear by, they just want to put data in the model and whatever it spits out, that's what they're going with. That is not the way that, I believe the best way to handicap and it, it should be an element of your handicapping, but there is still edge to be had. If you're putting in that type of work, the market isn't that, you know, I might say in, in an NFL market or in English premier league that it's past the point of efficiency and liquidity where any of that stuff's going to give you a main advantage. There's still small markets out there that you can put the work in and gain plenty of advantage. It's very interesting, and I want to jump to the NFL draft in a minute, which is probably a good segue from college football to the NFL draft. But before I do, I just have a a different question for you around the Don Best screen or any type of you know multiple screen scenario where you're looking at screens for certain things to pick up. And if you grabbed a random person on the street and put them in your situation, they would have no idea what they're looking at, most likely. Take us through what you might be looking for, if you know how to explain it, because maybe it's just some sort of intuition and sense, or are there sequences of things that flash and change and move, or are there trends that you're trying to pick up? Tell us about what that experience is like and what you're computing inside of your own head. Well, number one, I mean, when you, I, there, I would put it a borderline obsession with, with trying to get the best numbers. And so part of that is you're going to be, ref- I mean, if I told you how many times I refreshed my phone <laughs> when I know an opener on a date that I know an opener's coming or a normal time frame of when they're coming, I mean it, it is borderline psychotic. So there, there's an element of, of just being there and being ready and refreshing and being prepared for it. So that that would be my number one. You know, when you're talking about a screen advantage, it's seeing when it pops. I mean, that's the number yeah. one advantage that I get from you know screen viewing is being seeing when the first number is going to jump. Um, so that's one. The other part of it is, uh, you know, if I've got, there, there's two elements of it. One, if there's a target number that I'm looking for on a certain team that I'm going to set, and you can set it depending on what software you're using and that you can set alerts. It depend if you're looking for a certain number, a certain 
section or segment of what you're looking for. Um, so there's that. The other element of it is if you see if you see a number getting away, if you know I've been on the fence of a game uh, of I don't mind grabbing a screen chase if I've this number sitting on a seven and I've been eh, like you know is it going to tick up to seven and a half? If I see that seven going away, I'm going to go grab it. So that's where um, you know another of element of of just having a lot of 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 time and investment in it to be able to grab those numbers. That's interesting because do you feel like you get it right 55 or 60 or 70% of the time when something is trickling or moving quickly and you have to grab it? Does it often go back to seven when you you know might have grabbed seven, it was six and a half back to six and then it finds its way all the way back up to seven? Or do you think it's over time and it sounds like you might be one of the world leaders in spending time looking at Don Best or, or other similar screens. Do you think it's that's something... Really, that's, a pretty, that's really what I've been striving for. Is that not the world leader again, but to be the guy that stares at the screen more than anyone else. Um, do, do, you think you can, yeah. do you think you can conquer the screen, for want of a better term? Yeah. Um, so what I would say, I mean, a large percentage of my action, you know, will come at open, which I don't want to say it's a... Yeah, am I going to get the best number at open the vast, vast majority of the time? Yeah, but that's not that's not a real. I don't want to say that's not real, but that's not play the market at a more advanced level. Um, some of it is knowing is knowing people. So you know, I know a few people that move the market themselves. Um, so some of that is informationally that um, if you know a move's coming or what's or who's making it, uh, that helps too. Um, but, but yeah, I, listen, I'm not going to tell you I get the best of it every single time. Um, but I mean, if people have been following me for a long time, uh, they'd, I'd would feel confident in saying it's more often than not. Yeah. And I think that's part of the skill is finding the resistance point. And if we looked at the Super Bowl last year or sorry, this year with the Patriots and Rams, the resistance, the resistance point was, two and a half and most people said it's not going to get to three if it does it'll be knocked off immediately so that's easy enough for the super bowl for most people but when you get into the other markets that's where i guess the network helps to you know if three people say once it hits seven i'm going to take it and it it's sitting on seven for a few hours you know it's not going to go to seven and a half i would imagine no doubt and you got i mean i can't stress that you got to have outs you have to have this is one thing when i was first starting out you you can't do this game and have one or two books. You just can't anymore. That That is, if I could stress one point, it's I, I have tried to expand my horizons to as many outs as possible. Offshore, domestic, I don't mind going to, you know, the scummier books, um, having as many accounts as possible to take advantage. Because if there's one book that's, that's going to pop to seven for a second and everybody else is trading six and a half and you want that seven, you got to have it. You got to be able to get it. Um, and that's, you know, part of it. Uh, and I know we've talked, we've talked with other people in the past about cryptocurrency and being able to move money, um, playing the prop game too is, you know, and I know we'll get into it here in a minute, but you never know what props each book's going to post. So you can't be set up at, at one or two books just thinking or, you know, twiddling your fingers, hoping that they're going to post the props you're looking for. You got to go out there and get it. So, I mean, that's where I, I will keep as many accounts and have at least, uh, you know, a reasonable, at least enough to hit it a few times at each out that I have. So let's talk about the NFL draft. Do you have any golden rules that you swear by that might have worked for you over a number of years? 
Oh, you know, I, first of all, I mean, I love I love the NFL draft like like a like a young son. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was you know some of the money that I've been able to make in past years off the draft has just been. Um, but we're hitting a point now, and this it's you know you reach it with every small market. It starts out inefficient. There's that time where you can bang it and you can fucking rake money off of that thing, and it is so open in there. And, and we, we've just I mean I'll tell you what it is we've passed that that apex of you know ripe for the taking with NFL draft and you see it now and sites have have gotten wiser they're using the the upper echelon mock drafts to set lines they're being more conservative um I'll give you here I'll give you a couple examples I mean bet online put out some draft props earlier today so what they do now is the same shit they do with openers they put it a $50 max so guys who come in um and I mean I hit a bunch today and you know what they're doing will hit it for 50 bucks shape the number and then they'll up the limits once the number's already shaped same shit they do with you know any ATS like over under that with you know the major sports um even uh, sportsbook AG I played some draft props there they are taking Daniel Jeremiah who's one of the you know the leading mock draft guys they took his mock draft, his last version, and set the over-under for players at his exact points. Wow. So <laughs> those, I mean, the the days where books would set, you know, no fucking clue what they're doing, throw out some shit, that's probably, it doesn't mean, you know, an offshore here or there is going to set some dumb lines. Um, that happens every year. But the, instead of it being, you know, the entire market clueless or every book clueless, uh, it, it's probably just a handful. Um, but as far as golden rules, um I would say the one goal, this is what I've seen so many people fall into, is you have to completely take out what you feel and think about a player. And so many people struggle with that of like, oh, I think this guy sucks. There's no way he's going to go. Like, you've got to throw that shit out. Throw that to the side. Take your, because, I mean, a lot of, a lot of NFL teams and NFL decision makers make absolutely atrocious decisions, dumb decisions. Um, I mean, Rashad Penny going first round in the draft <laughs> last year before a couple of other cost me a shitload of money. And I can't, you know, it's one of those things I would have never, never envisioned or thought myself that Penny uh, would go to the Seahawks first round. Um, but that, that, I mean, that is, so that's one of those where, You've got to take as much personal feeling out of it um, and really use the information you're seeing. Go to the beat writers. Go to the quality mock drafts. Basically, listen to as many local team podcasts as you can. It's really about information acquiring rather than it is, you know, any type of personal opinion. Yeah, it seems to suit someone like yourself who's willing to spend the time and the hours having access to that information and. You know, I remember, I think it was D'Angelo Russell in the NBA draft. He was not supposed to go to the Lakers that early. I think he was a pick or two later in almost every mock. And then there were some late rumors out of some beat writers that made it pretty clear that he was a very, very high chance of going to the Lakers. And then the pricing was still way off. He was, you know, two, three to one in some instances to go. I think it was second overall. Or even, you know, in recent years, being a number of, even Baker, when he was supposed to be the second or third quarterback picked and then yeah, uh, Justina yeah. Anderson said this guy is it's either this guy or I think she <laughs> yeah. she might have said one other quarterback and then she said no no they they go on Baker unless there's a last minute change so is that the type of stuff that you've got to be on top of and have the outs and then act quickly is that the general sort of process No absolutely that that is I would that's the game nowadays is you know the the days of just a bunch of horrible numbers being posted and you being able to clean it up are probably done now it's about Who's going to be first to market? You know, when the information drops, 
you've got to you've got to be ready and you've got to act on it and you've got to have the account and just and just be ready to go. I mean, stuff if you know, I mean, a couple of any of the major guys tweets out something, man, that number is going to be fucking gone. That is gone in five, ten, never more than thirty minutes nowadays. Um, you know, depending, especially if it's going to be something, you know, a significant news break or a news drop. Um, and if you miss it, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta just roll with that. I mean, there is, it, it happens so quickly nowadays because it's become such a, you know, an element and a focus and kind of basically a part of of gambling culture more than, you know, four or five years ago, draft props were like a little side thing that, that nobody really paid. And now it's, it's blown up so much, you know, and last year I, I thought it hit the, the apex. Um, but at the same level, I think a lot of books got hurt last year. Like everybody's trying to be that team that's going to offer a ton of draft offerings. Um, and I know some places got, got their absolute ass kicked. So, and when that happens, books are going to make changes. So you, and I think you've seen it this year is where, I mean, we're two weeks out and there's not that much out. There's some stuff out there. There's not that much out there. And a lot of it's been, been decent, so to speak. So it's not going to be, I mean, I'll tell you, it'll probably be the least profitable draft I've had in, in since I started doing it. Interesting. Yeah. And I, it does seem pretty settled. If you look at Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks and McShay and Kuiper and a few others, you kind of get a general consensus. It feels like other than maybe Daniel Jones and potentially whether or not the Giants will wait for Haskins or, or go early or go with the earlier pick. There's not a lot of, I guess, um, disagreement, even with the, the tight ends. I, I saw the betting markets earlier and I know Hawkinson's a pretty big favorite, but Noah Fant did pretty well at the combine and no one really knows um, necessarily whether he'll, jump up in the last couple of weeks or if he'll be a late first early second so there's not too much that seems contentious to me no absolutely and you're not getting you know you're not going to score a big night either it's pretty well capped as far as you know first running back to get first tight end taken those type of things even if it's not the the chalk guy you're not getting any type of nice price on any of the realistic options who it could be so they've kind of taken the uh, taken the the scouting and the mocks and actually been able to set you know, decent numbers at a lot of places. So, and it's, you know, it is what it is. That's just, that's just the life cycle of, of something that's going to be small market. It's never going to be, never going to be able to crush it for years on end. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Tell me about how cryptocurrency has changed your overall betting. Oh, it, I mean, it, I couldn't do what I do on a daily basis without what it's provided in the last, you know, 24 months for me to be able to, it, it is just, I remember the first fucking withdrawal I got from Sportsbook AG. It took two months. It was a check for a thousand dollars from a Canadian quote unquote real estate company. <laughs> it was, I brought it to the bank. It said it was like a Canadian company, but the check said on it, us funds. I got two people at the bank looking at me like, what the fuck is this? So, I mean, <laughs> from, from, the time I requested that to the time it actually cashed and cleared in my bank was probably the better part of 10 weeks. So you're talking about, you know, half of a season. If I wanted to move that money from Sportsbook to one of the other book, one of the other books out there nowadays, you know, crypto, if you're keeping a lot of outs, it is the fucking lifeblood of being able to move money around, you know, if you want to, especially if you're in the thing, you know, if you're just scalping arbitrage, plain middles, that type of deal, especially for large weight. Um, and, and, you know, if you're putting a lot of risk down, 
you've got to be able to move it. And that, that is where, you know, I wouldn't say I was on the earliest adopter of, you know, the beat. I, I wasn't in at a hundred bucks at BTC. Um, but obviously it, it helped the bankroll, you know, being into it a little bit on the, the front edge. Um, but, but the ease of movement and then the withdrawals within 24 to 48 hours, that has completely changed the game to where, you know, I just said, there's no excuse. If you're like a one book or a two book guy, you shouldn't be, you know, wake the fuck up, learn how to use Coinbase and, and start moving money around and get other accounts. That, that's where it, the days of, of keeping like an out really should be, you know, if you're trying to do this on a real level, um, that's got to be gone. I mean, there, there's really no excuse other than just uh, a lack of understanding. And I mean, I had to, it took me, you know, when I was first learning about Bitcoin, it legitimately, I sat down every day after work for an hour and just, or for hour, not just an hour and read like, what the fuck is this? How do I learn how to use it? How do I learn to move it around? Where can I keep it? Is it, I mean, it was just immersed yourself in it um, to where most people should be at that point these days. Uh, but if you're not, you got to get there. That, that's where there, there is just too much opportunity um, in having a lot of accounts that, that crypto affords you where, you know, using, and I still, I mean, I still see a bunch of people say like, hey, a check or a money grammar, I'm still, you know, I want to write tied to my bank, man, you got to leave that shit out. That's where crypto, it changed the game for me. Um, and, and it's kind of <laughs> changed the game as far as basically your, your options and your flexibility. What impact do you think it had on the books? Were they more willing to, or willing to take on more risk? I mean, I think definitely you you would see, uh, you know, whale uh, whale capper talks about this a lot about basically since they were such on the the cutting edge of Bitcoin that I'm sure they received you know an absolute you know crush of financial backing being on the kind of the early wave. Um, but it's also it's taken out a lot of the inherent risk. Uh, you know, the riskiest thing is if you're an offshore book is basically processing deposits and withdrawals um and, and you see i mean back before cryptocurrency all of them had you know the big ones dimes bovada sportsbook had issues at some point with the federal government um and most of it was tied to moving money around in some fashion like that um so it, it's taken out a lot of the the risk on their end and the fees on their end and i mean what the, i remember getting a, a money gram from um from like Nicaragua once. And I mean, so the, the length that they're having to go through to get you your money before cryptocurrency uh, and process payments was just insane. And it was risky and it pissed the government off. Um, and now you don't have to use, you know, any of those those establishments uh, to do that anymore. And that's why, I mean, a lot of places have gone BTC exclusive uh, and it's just, it's just changed the offshore world. Um, it's made it, you know, a, instead of a, a place that, that was, Maybe not an area where, you know, five, six years ago, I would have said you, you should have a lot of money offshore and feel comfortable doing that to where now I'd say I, it is, I, I don't, I mean, I, I have, a, I have more money, you know, tied up in offshore sports books than, you know, I do in my savings account. So that it's just, it, it is what it is. That's just, um, it's just the game now. No, it's fascinating. What else is there that. Uh, what challenges or burdens are there for you in, in this world? Is there something else? Obviously, money movement might have been one previously, but it seems to have somewhat been solved. Are there other things that stand out to you that you'd love to fix if it was possible? You play this game for a long time and you've had, you start to have some success, accounts and limiting, and especially if you're going to play it a certain way, if 
it's, you know, if you, I like to use a lot of props, uh, um, you know, and use some of the square books and take advantage of like, you know, my bookie of Bavada and that type of stuff, being able to, to keep your accounts and keep your limits, uh, and not get, I mean, gotten, you know, the boot from five dimes, uh, not just once. So, and, and that is, that's the challenge it is really, if you're going to, you're going to have success and you're going to play at a lot of different places. Um, and you're going to, you, you know, play some of the smaller market stuff, play some props, uh, and, and win over the long term. books, they're going to eventually at a lot of shops, you're, you're going to have some issues. And that's where, you know, I would love it if everybody was like bookmaker and never booted anybody and never limited anybody. And just, um, you know, if you're sharp, they move the line on you when you hit it. Um, that would be the dream scenario at that's, that's never going to fucking happen. So you've got to play the game um, a few different ways. And it's it's a pain. I mean, yeah, it's somewhat if it's a pain in the ass. I mean, part of it, like I told you on the front end, is why, you know, you don't keep your name in it um, and stuff. So, yeah, do I wish books were, were more lenient on players or especially some of the, the recreational books um, were apt to take a little bit more risk? Or I, I don't mind reasonable limit you know that is proper risk management i don't expect that bovada is going to let me bet a thousand dollars on a fucking prop and you know beat the shit out of them for years that's not going to happen but i some of book you know i know five dime ever since the tony situation five dimes is super conservative right now um you know i've had uh, people follow me on twitter know i've had plenty of issues with my bookie taking features away or slow lagging bets um you know, Bovada's got a long history. They've been, I think, better in recent years. But, you know, they've got a long history of not um, catering in any sense to advantage players. Um, and so if you want to use those book, and that's what it's not. I'm not going to be, you know, if you cut your teeth playing, you know, the most liquid markets for 10K a game at Pinnacle. Yeah, that shit, that shit doesn't matter to you. Know? You know, where if you're, you know, Rufus, you come on at that, that he's not living that grind and that life. So that it's not going to be an issue for him. Whereas if you're trying to make it, you know, on this level and use the recreational books and, and bet stuff that's going to have the most advantage that that's going to, is going to catch up to you. And usually it's sooner rather than later. And there's, there's ways, there's tactics and ways that you have to implement. Um, but it's, yeah. So that's probably the hardest, you know, there's some days or if I lose an account where it is, it's just like, Oh fuck. Like, do I really want to, I really want to go through this shit. Um, but yeah, that's just, I don't know. It's part of the game, man. It's something that you've just got to be able to work around. So in terms of self-evaluation, if we look ahead in seven years, let's say, and we have the similar conversation to now, what things do you think you would have implemented or you would have tried to implement to try and make your life easier? Or do you think you'll always be in it for the grind and you're happy to put in the time and the hours because it's worth it on the back end? That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm part of, I don't know, maybe one day, you know, I have kids or something and I got to slow down. Um, but you know, to this point it's become such a part of life, uh, that I don't know, you know, short term, I don't see it changing, you know, if, especially with, with legalization coming to this country, um, and the more outs that that's bringing, it is just, it, I'll tell you, it's not the time to fucking slow down right now. (laughs) I'm just, I'm too excited. Uh, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in Detroit area. So in what I would expect to be the company coming months, Michigan's gonna, we're going to open up and be one of the next States, uh, 
that drops and that's going to open up a whole new world for me. And man, I'm just, just fucking ready to go. So I, I mean, I've gotten to a point now, even from a few years ago where I automate a little bit more stuff. Um, so that helps, but this is always going to be me, man. This is just my style. It's always going to be the way I have to go about it. Uh, I don't mind fucking grinding out. You know, people give me shit. Hey, $25, $50 prop, $100 prop. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it. That's just what, that's just what I do. So, and that's not for everybody, but you know, Hey, do I, it's what works for me and it's what, it's just the way I'm going to go about it. No, that's awesome. And one final question on the legalization aspect for you. You obviously have a skill set that would be appealing to many different people in the future sports betting industry, I would imagine. Do you ever see yourself jumping the other side of the counter or being involved in different parts of the industry as opposed to a as a sports better? You know, I, it's funny. Somebody, uh, somebody I know pretty well um, that does it from that side asked me that not too long ago. Um, yeah, maybe one day. Uh, you know, I've always thought it'd be interesting and just you know to be able to to work at a book and that type of stuff i mean the problem the problem you run into is you know you get you know i've been gotten into my i mean i'm in the 30 now and you know got a career and that kind of stuff so it's like you know would you consider flipping and changing your entire life and you know trying to do that um maybe i don't know we'll see what the future holds i think it would be interesting and you know i'm someone who I could spend 12 hours a day at the risk room in a sports book, no doubt, and and fucking love it and, you know, do that and not have any issue. Um, but part of it, I don't I don't know, man, I fucking some of it's competition. Man, I love fucking winning money. I just love taking money from a book. man. You know, you see some of the books out there, especially, uh, you know, the ones with, with bookmakers that'll, that'll talk shit. I fucking love getting after them um, and working with guys and, and you know. Some of it sometimes is I don't even know if it's the money. Sometimes it's it's just fucking winning and getting and, and being able to say that you know you had this line or I cleared this this month you know and you know that's why I like posting on Twitter, being able to throw some stuff out there for people. Um, so that's good, man. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll see, but but for right now, uh, we'll just see how it rolls. No, that's awesome. You can you can feel the passion coming through. I certainly wish you all the very best football season be here around the corner with college football and you know the draft and all that type of stuff uh it's been a pleasure chatting to you joey and hopefully we can do it again sometime hey brother i loved it appreciate you having me on